University professor has created a patch infused with bacon to help vegans cope with meat cravings. Hopefully, hopefully the patch goes across the vegan's mouth so they can't keep talking about how cashew butter rebalanced their gut biome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the one, the one thing about the people with the healthy eating. Oh, boy. They got to tell you about it. Yeah. Just yeah. This part, it comes with the deal. I don't know if there's something about um, eating healthy that triggers the part of the brain that makes you want to tell other people how you eat. Or... Don't you want to be healthy, Jack? <laughs> most, I think most healthy eating regimens are are more difficult than eating like a pig. So you have to have a certain level of enthusiasm to stick with it. And that enthusiasm, unfortunately, comes out in the direction of me. Makes you and ev- I don't want to hear about makes it. Makes you evangelical about <laughs> your yeah. habits. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, um, I just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't even know where this chat's going to go. Got a great guest coming up, by the way. Uh, David Drucker to talk about never Trumpers and Bernie and all sorts of good stuff. But um, we're talking about Kobe uh, just a couple minutes ago, and uh, and the chance around the league and people paying tribute to him and the rest of it. And you know, I see he adored his daughters. I mean, it is infinitely clear. You can't fake that. God, I saw the story that he and his daughter went to, uh, I didn't realize he was a practicing Catholic, and he and his daughter went to Mass, took communion, the whole thing, right before they got on the helicopter. Oh, my goodness. Sunday yeah. morning, and then... It's uh, touching. It's, uh, yeah, and the other people who died in the wreck and the rest of it. I just, I, I have to at least tip my cap to the significant number of people who are reacquainting us with the, the testimony and the signed statements and the rest of it from the rape accusation. And it, it is overwhelmingly likely that uh, he sexually assaulted that young girl, that young woman, back well, in the day. I haven't reread it, and I don't think I'm going to, because I spent a fair amount of time on it in 2004 after it happened. But uh, I remember coming out of it not feeling like he was clearly a rapist at the time. Well, you need to reread it then, because I had the same impression. I mean, you might come to a different conclusion, but uh, I had that same vague notion and I went back into it and was reminded of quite a few things we discussed. But I, I don't want to relitigate it. Trust me. I don't have anything against Kobe. Um, I, I, I take no delight in having this position. But having reread his statements and the woman's statements and the detective statement and the rest of it, it's not good. Not good at all. On the other hand, loving dad. Gifted, creative guy. Um, you know, he's, he's a youth volunteer, the rest of it. He had a hundred good qualities. Um, what does that say about mistakes and forgiveness and what is unforgivable? And what does the passage of time mean? And who's a hero and who's not? And do heroes have to be perfect? Or, and I'm not saying, you know, raping somebody is merely not being perfect, but... Well, I'll tell you how we've decided it as a society. If he had been convicted, he'd have spent like nine months in jail, and we'd have decided you've paid your debt to society. Now you get to go out and live your life. Mm-hmm. That's what we have decided. Yeah. We don't give you the death penalty for it. Right. So, I don't know. You can look at it that way, I guess. And, but uh, do we worship you as a hero if you're in the news? Well, I'm the wrong person to ask because I right. don't really worship anyone as a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not the way I'm built. Um, certainly not uh, entertainment stars. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I would just I would say to people, quit yelling at us that it's clearly one or the other because yeah. life's more complicated than that. I'm more interested in what you are now than what you were then with any human being. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, 
Um, got this text. I thought it was pretty interesting because we were talking uh, earlier this week. Terrible decision by Great Britain. And, and Boris Johnson made this decision more or less on his own. It was up to one guy to allow Huawei to be their provider of 5G. We had told everybody in the world, you have Huawei putting in your 5G network. We're not. We can't share information with you. We can't be on board. Intelligence, board. specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we yeah. can't work with you as a government because that's communist spies. And you're open, you'd be opening up our intelligence to communist spies. Now, Great Britain has done it, and I don't know how we're going to react, necessarily. Any possibility this is the hardest of hardline negotiating tactics of, if you don't, because essentially we're the other person who could provide the networks for them. And if you don't drop your price, we're just going to go with these guys, because they're cheaper. Well, that'd be some serious hardball. Yeah, it, it could be, Sean, but yeah. uh, that's that's a hell of a maneuver. Um, well, and then I don't want to steal your thunder, but I heard this British academic talking about it, and he was on a liberal news network, and I thought, okay, he's going to give me some tough uh, counter-arguments against the Huawei could be an open door to the communist Chinese. Uh, why Why are they going with it? And his answer was, well, it's cheap. It's cheap. There are only few bidders, really, and then they're cheap. And they make good gear. There are no good counter-arguments. You're allowing the there communist Chinese to, to come into your country and build your cell phone system. Right. No, we won't. Uh, there will be no back doors. We won't mess with the software. No, we wouldn't do that. Anyway, this is a different topic, but also China and to their expansion. We got this text. First of all, I randomly learned that there is a 60 Minutes Australia yesterday. Hey, there are 60 Minutes of variety countries, I think. Yes, anyway. indeed. Franchises. Secondly, I saw their most recent segment. We, I just sent it to you. I'll have to watch it later. About China's bold and horrible plan to take over every country in the South China Sea, one by one, by getting them to switch their political allegiance from Taiwan to China, by bribing each country, or rather its top officials, one by one. And it's working. Um, China already has presence in almost half the countries in the South Pacific Sea as a result. You guys are absolutely correct that these are small and sinister steps China is taking to take over the world and expand their dictatorship footprint. And I would add to small and uh, sinister, systematic, because it's part of a greater plan. I mean, they are small steps that will accumulate intentionally and end up with China being... Uh, a, a an iron fist controlling at the very least a huge chunk of the globe, and they're doing and the this, whole thing if they get their aim. They're, they're, well, they're doing that where he just mentioned. They're also doing it all around Africa and the Middle East. They've got ports all over the world that they've brought into these little you know podunk dirt poor countries, and they built these gazillion dollar ports and uh, and and made these countries so happy. But part of the deal that comes along with we build this port is we we have all kinds of control in the way you do things in your country. Well, and they they also systematically uh, loan these countries amounts of oh, money right, they can right, never possibly right, pay right. back. And once you default, then you're really, uh, you know, to quote one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Snatch, um, now I owed him, and that was the position I did not want to be in, owing him. Yeah, so, God, I just have this fear that we're going to be looking back 50 years from now, certainly 100 years from now, and people are going to be wondering, how did the United States allow this to happen? How did the rest of the world allow China to build cell phone networks all around the world and ports and all these different things mm. and take over the world? How did they allow that to happen? Greed is how they allowed it to happen. Well, that is what China's got going for it, that the Soviets, the the old-timey commies never had. They'll get cheap t-shirts and underpants onto your shelves and, and let you sell some in their gigantic market and people are getting rich. You know, this discussion reminds me of one of my favorite themes um, of 
knowing just enough to be dangerous. And this so describes, and if this is hurtful to college students listening, um, I do not mean to be hurtful, I mean to be enlightening, uh, because I was guilty of it myself. The, you know, the common view amongst uh, college kids is that this is a big, mean country, the United States, and, and they can point to examples of us being big and mean in the past, therefore we're morally bankrupt and the worst country on earth, blah, blah, blah. What people forget when they take a superficial glance at history through the crazed eyes of, of Howard Zinn or, or your, your fevered uh, you know, Marxist professor is that, for instance, the, uh, the U.S. propping up the Shah of Iran, actually the original guy and then his son, um, morally reprehensible, awful regimes, repressive, uh, no respect for human rights, the rest of it. Partly because they were keeping a lid on the whole Sunni Shia thing. And like we found out when we knocked off Saddam Hussein, man, when you get rid of the dictator, you don't get democracy. You get blood running in the streets. And a greater point to be made, and you can look at, you know, the Vietnam War and that period in history. The U.S. wasn't doing these things for fun. It was because we and our allies were up against a a world power and philosophy that was bent on perpetrating horror around the world. Absolute genocidal horror. So yeah, we punched some people in the face and maybe overdid it or maybe stayed too long in certain places or spent too much money or sometimes even lied to our people about how it was going. Not good. I'm not defending all the sins. But So you look at uh, China now. Okay, so are we going to oppose China and their system of, of oppressing people Murdering them, slaughtering them, forced abortions, no human rights, slave labor, slavery in general, the rest of it. Are we going to oppose them but with white gloves on and only by doing nice things? No, grow up. The world's a big, ugly, violent place. So life expectancy in the United States is on the rise for the first time in four years after going the wrong direction. Over you the know, last I years. feel better. Uh, new pictures from the sun, the surface of the sun and hot, from what I hear, never Trumpers. Stop being never Trumpers if Bernie is the candidate, it looks like. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so on, that's what it would take. All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Is it possible that by tomorrow night the impeachment trial is over and we've turned the corner on this major question and this major moment in history? More than possible, I would say likely. That from MSNBC Today. Oh, wait a minute. And it kind of stopped old Willie Geist in his tracks. Because what do you say after that? (laughs) Willie Geist just smiling along. Uh, that's, uh, the, the, the impeachment is CNN's winter promotion. Yeah, on MSNBC, special. they want this to be the story of the day and the last for a while, and their uh, their expert political analysis said not only possible that it's over tomorrow, likely. Yeah, it could. I all said end you're kidding me. We'll talk more about that coming up later. Was that Billy Eilish we were just listening to there? I just I was reading last night. How do I? You ever read stuff and then you wonder how did I ever start this or watch this? How yeah. Did I, how did it? Yeah. It's not really yeah. my thing. Yeah. But anyway, I was kind of glad that I read this. Um, Jessica Simpson has a memoir out. I saw that headline. It's 400 pages. That's plenty. 
Yeah, but they're all pop-up book pages. Oh, boy. Anyway. Well, that's unfair. And do you remember her? She was kind of a pop star hottie of us. The sex kitten. Then then her and her husband, who was also a singer, had a reality show that got a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. Nick Leahy. Is that right, Sean? You're of the right age to know this. Uh, Which band was her husband in? No, but her and Nick Leahy were, they had a show, they were married and had a show. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and that was a thing. Yeah, the most famous clip of that is when she was confused by the uh, Star Kiss Tuna catchphrase of chicken of the sea. Is this chicken or tuna, right? That actually factored in the New York Times article. Really? Believe it or not. Um, uh, Anyway, and then she, uh, they they split up and and then she dated John Mayer for a long time and and all this different stuff. Gained weight, lost weight, Daisy Duke, the whole thing. Either remember it, you don't. Oh, right! This isn't as much about her as just kind of about celebrity. Okay. So the the guy who wrote this article for the New York Times said he sat down and asked her, you know, so how are you doing or how's the book sale going? And she talked for 120 minutes straight. That's two hours, you realize. (laughs) Without him saying anything? That's what he he suggested. Wow. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And anyway, I don't don't care about, well, really any pop starlet or this particular pop starlet, but her story of, as usual, sexual abuse as a kid, kind of heading into the entertainment world, drugs and alcohol... The the whole then the reason Billie Eilish reminded me of it is um she mentioned how Billie Eilish wears baggy clothes just because she doesn't want anybody commenting on her body and Jessica Simpson talking about how the nonstop everywhere you turn somebody is talking about your weight how you look either how great you look or how bad you look or right. you looked better last week or better this week or never ending never ending comment on your look that would make you crazy heck yeah who want that who would trade places for that yeah i know most young people want to be famous you want that you want somebody commenting on your skin your weight your hair constantly what you're wearing every single day everybody you're dating every word you say yeah and in the background though she did build this clothes empire of Medium to low priced clothes for regular people doesn't get you know doesn't get the super high end Credibility, you know, you buy it at, at, at Sears. Nobody's whatever. wearing her on the red carpet. In the best years, they had a billion dollars in sales. Yes. Billion in sales per year. Good so for she, her. She's got a gazillion dollars. But I just thought it was interesting. Yet another story. How many stories about fame where it looks to be miserable do you need? Do people need to hear <laughs> not before, before they think maybe it's not a good idea to want to be famous? You're wasting your breath. It's the glittering object. I tell you what, it goes to show, though, because I, I accidentally read a couple of paragraphs of something about her, too, because she's publicizing the heck out of this book. But it, it goes to show how insidious uh, childhood sexual abuse is, because, you know, so many victims, they're desperate to regain control of their lives and their sexuality and the rest of it. And 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 it, it's a difficult task because a lot of them go way one way or the other or the other. And it's just it's awful. It's terrible. That's why it's such a serious crime. And it's amazing that it really wasn't until fairly recently. People joke about child molesters, but it wasn't much of a crime. Right. And that's uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I was thinking about to the point where giant institutions, perhaps you can think of one, would get away with it for generations. I was thinking about that with the, the Kobe thing. If If the same thing happened with a star player now, Post hashtag me too. Yeah. 
you're completely done. Not just the league takes you out of their promos and, and uh, Mountain Dew dumps here or whatever happened. Mm-hmm. You'd be done done, don't you think, in the Me Too era, even if you were acquitted? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it was a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah, it was, but, but you, you couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't. It would be a constant discussion in the media and the rest of it. And the, hashtag the team would Me have Too to fire you. Season. I think the team would have to fire you. I don't think so. Not a player of that caliber. They'd, they'd go with the, we're going to let the legal really? system deal Al, with this. Al Franken didn't get to be a senator anymore because he put his hand on a woman's butt. That was stupid. And he knows it. <laughs> he, he folded. If it had been at that peak, I think you'd have, you'd have to fire a player no matter how big. I think it's calmed down a little since then. Hmm. There was like a six, nine-month period in there where, if, if you know, if you had kissed a girl... <laughs> Like that guy from the New York Times, uh, Thr- uh, Glenn Thrush, is he the guy that oh, hung yeah. up on us and yelled at us once? But anyway, he yeah. lost his job at the New York Times because he basically thought this coworker liked him and tried to kiss her. And that was the whole story. Yeah. And they fired him over that. I mean, that's just insane. Right. Right. Yeah. Fever um, pitch. Yeah, you could you could be right at that point. It would have happened. But, you know, the Super Bowl coming up. Can't wait for it. But there are various, you know, wife beaters and other criminals playing. Um you know, they're, they're great players, so they say, we're going to let the uh, criminal justice system handle this because they're the best uh, equipped to do that, and we'll wait for the result, knowing that somebody will plead out of court, and uh, back on the field you go. Trump's being interviewed at halftime by Hannity. Wow. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Look, I don't tolerate bullshit terribly well. I'm not good at pleasantries. If you have your birthday, I'm not going to call you up to congratulate you so you love me and you write nice things about me. That's not what I do. Never I, have. I, I like that clip. That is that is Trump-esque, saying that sort of thing in the midst of a presidential campaign. Hillary Clinton is not going to say, no, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I'm not going to call you on your birthday. I don't care about stuff like that. It's admirable. <laughs> In a way. Oh, i got to clean this up, so I don't know why I said this. I, I know this. It's not true. The It's not the halftime show where they interview the president. It's pregame. But remember back in the oh, day, O'Reilly oh, yeah. interviewed Obama pregame several Super Bowls. And they were they were often newsmaking. I'm not really looking for political interviews at my Super Bowl party as I get my drink on and eat fattening food. But, yeah. but this time around, it's Hannity interviewing Trump pregame. Sean Hannity. Which uh, will have okay. a little different feel because it's not going to be any confrontational. It'll be, it'll be the opposite. I enjoy softball. Uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to get David Drucker on. He's the senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner because I saw his headline about Bernie and the Never Trumpers. Apparently, you're never Trump unless Bernie is the nominee. Then that might be a bridge too far. David Drucker, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Good to be back, guys. Uh, so, so David, tell us about this. The uh, We've got to wrest this party back from Trump, the scourge of Trump crowd. What are they thinking? Well, look, I mean, I, I think that it's just a reminder that a lot of people that are considered never Trump and that are okay with affiliating with that label uh, have their limits. And, you know, there, there are some prominent people in that you know, community, if you will, that um, believe that never Trump means exactly what it means. Some of them even appear to be a little bit more flexible in terms of their philosophy and, and ideology and key issues. But, you know, there are a lot of others that are not on TV 
at least not all that often, that are working in the trenches here. And they still consider themselves rather conservative, and they, they haven't changed their mind on the issues that drove them to get involved in politics. And, and Bernie Sanders, for them, is is just a little bit too far left for them to stomach. And, you know, they understand that in order to defeat Trump, only a Democrat is going to do that. And there are candidates that they consider center-left that would support a whole bunch of policies that normally they would be voted against, but they don't feel that that, you know, some of these other candidates would, would, if they were able to achieve their legislative agenda, radically alter the country. That it would just take the country on a little bit of a leftward journey over the next four years, but not fundamentally change it. And they feel like Bernie Sanders, if he was elected and was able to get things done, would sort of radically overhaul the country in a way that they find unacceptable and equally problematic with Trump, just different. With Trump, it's about the rule of law and the Constitution and how he conducts himself and how he interacts with um, our allies around the world. You know, maybe they're wrong, but that's how they see it. Um, And they clearly have a lot of issues with this. And they see some of the same with Bernie Sanders in terms of what his foreign policy would be. But his domestic policies, they find, they believe, if achieved, would radically change the nature of the country, uh, even if he wouldn't present the same problems in terms of his conduct and behavior as Trump. And that's why many of them, if he's the nominee, will just stay home um, or, you know, throw their vote away on some non-viable third-party candidate. Now, I would say that it's an interesting story because people are kind of interested in how this crowd reacts um, at various turns in the road in in national politics because it's unusual to have any cohort that is affiliates with a party, but not with the party leader. But the bigger thing here is that in order to win the presidency in the states that matter, you need almost always to bring over some decent level of independence and swing voters, people that are not in any base camp and can go back and forth. And there's a question of whether Bernie Sanders as committed as his supporters are and as juiced as the Democratic base might be with him, whether it would give Trump a leg up with independent and swing voters who sided with Democrats in 2018 and only reluctantly voted for Trump in 2016 and really would like to vote against him in 2020. But for them as well, there are some Democrats where it's simply a bridge too far. Are you in Iowa right now? No, no. I'm stuck here covering the impeachment of the century. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much you're paying attention to that, but, uh, I was watching MSNBC this morning and they were asking their correspondent, you know, so there's a chance it could end tomorrow. And their correspondent said, oh, I think it's likely it ends tomorrow. Do you, do you feel that way? I think there's a good chance that it'll end tomorrow. Or oh, that's going to be something. It's, it, the logistics. I think that's going to catch a lot of the country there. by surprise. I, I think a lot of the country is going to say, what, it's over. How do, what, 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 it's just over. Well, if it catches them by surprise, it will at least mean that they were paying attention. And, you know, <laughs> right. curious. Um, look, that, it doesn't, you know, the, the case for impeachment doesn't necessarily rest on whether people are paying attention, but it does impact the politics of this whole thing. And I think one of the reasons the trial could end by the end of the second week, which is this week, is that there's no doubt, unless a meteor strikes us all dead, that Trump's going to be removed, that Trump is not going to be removed from office. He's not going to be convicted. You're not going to come up with 20 Republican votes to convict him 
And right now, we're not even sure that all 47 Democrats are going to vote to convict him. Joe Manchin could vote for acquittal, um, and people are keeping their eye on Kristen Sinema and Doug Jones. So everybody knows the outcome. And I think what a lot of senators are probably asking themselves, at least on the Republican side, is I already know how I'm going to end up voting. And do I want to go through this tedious, boring, annoying process for another two weeks because the minute you open this thing up to witnesses, it's not like John Bolton testifies on Monday and then everybody goes home. So they've... they've oh, it could be weeks and weeks of litigation where, for each witness. Yes, and then there are going to be demands from Republicans that you know, Hunter Biden testify and this one testify. I mean, this, you know, Jay Sekulow, the president's personal attorney, in answer to a question last night, said... Look, I promise you, if you get your witness or want your witness, we got a whole list. This will go on for months. Now, you know, you could chalk that up to hyperbole, but I don't really think he was off base. This thing will just last. And even if months. the Bolton manuscript is 100% true and Republicans accept it as 100% true, it is not going to change the outcome of the case. Wow. Well, that's the message they have to get out to the peeps because the Democrats are going to desperately pitch the message that it was a, sh- a kangaroo court and a show trial and they never were honest and the, the Republicans are evil. So, you know, that's but that's a PR the wrestling match that I don't know. We'll probably all forget about by November. I oh, I, yeah. It's not going to be an issue in November. Nobody's yeah. going to be talking about impeachment then. Yeah. What would you make of the breathless uh, John Bolton allegations uh, coverage, David, the other day? I mean, I understand it. I mean, it was news. It was something different. And, you know, when things like that happen in the middle of an event, you ask questions, and we ask questions. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what everybody was missing, not everybody, and it, you know, this sounds arrogant on my part, but if you listen to what Republicans have been saying about Trump's actions over the past several months, they moved from a place in the very beginning where, gee, this could really be a problem, to okay, I don't really like it, but it's not a problem. And over the last week, prior to the John Bolton revelations, Republicans in the Senate were already making the case that everything Trump did was fine. So the argument hasn't been he didn't do it. The argument from many Republicans has been, sure, but of course he did it because he should have done it. It's perfectly within his purview and his constitutional authority, and there's nothing unseemly about it. So it doesn't matter whether the Bolton manuscript is true. It wasn't going to change the outcome. But I mean, it's natural to ask these questions and, and sure. you know, check our work. Yeah, yeah, indeed. David Drucker, senior political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. David, thanks a million. Good to talk to you. Anytime, guys. Take All it right. easy. You know, I tell you what, the more I think about it, the more I think Bolton is the master manipulator and book uh, publicizer, because he's he's famously a a brilliant schemer. He plays bureaucracies and power struggles brilliantly. At least that's his rep. And <clears throat> I'm also reminded of uh, was it uh, McCabe? Who was the one who had that just the, the that red letter headline revelation that wasn't in the book? 
Because he didn't think it was really, he didn't, he wasn't sure. As Andrew about McCabe it. in McCabe. his FBI book goes right. on 60 Minutes with an explosive comment, and it's not in the book. Right. Because he thought, well, I, I'm not even sure that's true. So, I, you know. Uh, Bolton is absolutely smart enough to do that. Sure. To call up his favorite uh, New York Times stooge and, and say, oh, yeah, yeah, direct quid pro quo. In fact, uh, yeah, the president, he's got uh, one parrot named Quid and the other one pro quo, and he has them squawk at each other, and, and we talked about it. We held a quid pro quo dance. There was uh, it was, it was drink specials, and oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And then none of it's in the book. Right. So, yeah, ho-hum. Who are you more... Can we get on with our lives, please? I am. Who, who are you more excited about, J-Lo or Shakira? Sean Hannity. <sighs> No, I, I, I will not give it a moment's no. I mean, I may look at him gyrate because I'm a heterosexual male, but that's that's it. My kids love the halftime show, the pageantry, the dance. It's, it's good for children. Yeah. It's perfect for children. Mm-hmm. I think that's excellent. Maybe that's what it's designed for because they know the adults are going to go get some uh, food and drink and whatever. Well, it's for non-football fans and barely football fans, uh-huh. I think, which is fine. I'm not anti-entertainment. I just have no interest in this particular brand of entertainment. Joe's anti-entertainment. He wants an anti-communist lecture for us uh, on C-SPAN 2 during the halftime. Hey, I'm a bit of a fundamentalist. <laughs> they do in Puppy Bowl this year? My kids do like that, oh, too. Oh, please. Everybody likes that. Yeah. The Puppy Bowl. It's an institution at this point. They're yeah, not going to really do that. Oh, hey. Well, and, it, and it probably costs $100 to put on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can't imagine how much money. The, it's That's probably... mostly the, the referee salary. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, probably... years of training. It, I'd like. I'm sure the chart of uh, ad revenue on whatever channel that is is pretty clear to see. Oh, they make yeah. nothing all year long. <laughs> yes, their entire year's budget is paid for for four hours on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. It's Animal Planet, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Animal yeah. Planet. But so, hey, uh, speaking of which, I keep hearing about this commercial that some guy is spending millions of dollars to thank his vet? Yeah, we got or, that. We got that. You want to do, do that we, next? You want to hear that next? Yeah, we got the we got the deets. So we, sure. we got the deets. We'll spill the tea. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know anything I don't love about it. When it. You say tea. Oh lord. <laughs> oh boy, he's so hip. Cuz I'm isn't? hip. Everybody yes, says oh, that. I got your word straight, Jack. I got my word straight. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The Super Bowl ad a lot of people will be talking about coming up in a moment. This is a great cover version of a great song. Tough to pull off. So, listen, I just want to mention this to you fairly briefly. Um, It's worth knowing. Uh, Another crazed junkie bum stabbed somebody to death, this time in Escondido, California. Oh, my right God. Right outside the Burger King. Oh, geez. That's yeah. so frightening. I know it. That's so frightening. And you see, I was told at a city council meeting, though, that you should not judge these people by the way they look. If you're scared of them from their for their appearance, there's something wrong with you. I was oh. told that directly. Oh, I see. Thank God. Every time I hear these stories, I thank God that whatever internal mechanism I had made me want to confront that bum that walked up to our table. There's something that I knew, because he attacked a woman in a McDonald's drive-thru, drug her out of her car, and was beating on her when, when people stopped him. He mm. might have killed her. Right. But 
Thank God I had that intuition. Yeah. These crazy, drug addict, lunatic, violent people that are hanging around all over the place. Yeah, that you, your government has given your town to. You can't risk it. You can't just pretend, oh, I'll just walk by with my kid or turn my back or my wife or my mom or whatever. You can't. You need to walk way over here yeah. and keep your eye on them the entire time you walk by. Trust you, your judgment. You don't know what you're dealing with. Yeah, trust yourself, not the activist lunatics. Be careful. Oh until, my God. until this is uh, this chapter, this this insane chapter of American history is behind oh, us. Geez, and it I chills me. When that guy was screaming, "I'm going to kill you and your kids and all that stuff," yeah. he could have easily pulled out a knife and gone to it. We well, had a long history of violence. You're absolutely right. Thank God. Well, he's in prison any... now for attacking a cop. Finally, right. he crossed the line that gets you in jail for a while. Right. right. So anyway, again, not uh, very cheery. I just wanted you to know: be safe, Michael. A little transition music. Please. Absolutely. Here comes the hook. <laughs> That's everybody's favorite part. Oh, yes, sir. It was probably an afterthought add-in, but it's really... Well, sometimes, yeah, it's like the, the organ lake, you know, like a rolling stone. It's just kind of accidental. <laughs> so here's the Super Bowl ad a lot of people are going to be talking about. I, I guess we'll hear it in its entirety and then discuss... I guess. I guess that's the plan. I guess that's what'll happen. I assume that's what will happen. Hi, I'm Scout, and I'm a lucky dog. And it's not just because I found this cool stick, or that I was in the WeatherTech commercial on the big game last year. It's that I'm a cancer survivor, had a tumor on my heart, and only a 1% chance of survival. I'm alive thanks to a cutting-edge program at the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine. Their research has the potential to save millions of pets' lives. Pets make a difference in your life. You can make a difference in theirs. Donate now at weathertech.com slash donate. Wait, did that place also make a talking dog? <laughs> so <sighs> so how's the story behind this go, Sean? Uh, I've got it in front of me, but it's not quite the same story that you you have told me. So the the gentleman had this this these fine veterinarians save his dog. He is a, a very wealthy individual, and so he bought a $6 million Super Bowl commercial that is encouraging people to donate to these, uh, to this uh, veterinary institution. I believe it's okay. attached to a school. That yeah. happens. University of Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And my question Go is... Go Badgers. And the, and, but what's the message here? Is there a message? Donate to this thing. Okay. And they will advance science for saving pets. You know, oh man, this is it's that's nice, and I'm in favor of it. A lot of people spend their life savings saving their pets, and I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy to spend that kind of money on a dog that's going to die from some disease, uh, gazillions of dollars when there's all kinds of like of real, really, really important needs out there. What's it's, what's the likelihood of his commercial raising more than the cost of the commercial? And why wouldn't you just give these people the six million dollar donation? That's an interesting question. I have no idea. Uh, he must be betting that it will. I'll bet it does. It may. It's a, it it's may. a Super Bowl. A hundred million people will tune in, and people are uh, super into pets. Part of it because people don't have kids anymore. There might be no better Cal Unicornia story than, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, uh, Gavin Newsom is going to try to turn the entire state of California into a no-kill uh, state, a sanctuary state for stray cats and dogs. Really? Yes. And concentrate on adoption and spaying and neutering programs and the rest of it. Now, the adoption, spaying and neutering stuff is invaluable. It's great. It's it's fabulous. Do it. Um, 
But the idea that the millions, and it's millions, of ill-bred stray dogs and cats, they're not going to put down any of them? Where are you going to put them, Gavin? And at what cost? Nobody's going to ever adopt that many. There aren't enough people. And the idiots who keep breathing them, breeding them, rather, are going to keep doing it. I just, where are the adults in California? You can do whatever you want with your pet. You want to spend it. It's your money. I've spent way more money on my pets than I want to do because uh, (laughs) I'm not the sole decision maker on those on those things, and that's often the case, I think, the way that goes down. But um, Well, yeah, much like the uh, Republican Party or the Democrat, they have to keep their voting block in line. Right. See the case of the $20 rabbit that cost me hundreds of dollars in medical care. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> hundreds is different than thousands and different than tens of thousands. It, it is, indeed. The, the can- and I could afford it. The cancer treatment with radi- chemotherapy and radiation for the pet... Had to cost tens of thousands of dollars. Had to be. I mean, there's, well, there's, there's no surgery. I mean, obviously. Uh, or I if they be, did, I don't It might have been upward to, to $100,000. Yeah. Easily. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. And so if that's the best use of the $100,000 you can think of for humanity, that's, yeah. that's up to you. I well, don't agree, but. Back to the wonders of socialism. If you spend $75,000 on your 14 year old cat, and then you retire and you have no money. Good question. Do there. you get my tax money? Yeah. Do you get to take money from me through the government um, because you believed that every little kitty has a soul? These are uh, questions worth discussing. Nobody will, but they're worth it. Discuss me at your Super Bowl party. 